I wasn't aware that words could hold so much. I didn't know a sentence could be so full. Miss Catherine Danielle Clark. Hello and welcome to the final episode of season one of Two Bitches Reading Books. I'm Kayla, that was Brandy, and we're finishing up Where the Crawdads Sing. I'm so excited and I freaking had to do a Kaya quote to end freaking Where the Crawdads Sing. I've been thinking about that quote since we read it, so. It's the best quote, really. Yes, it's so true. I feel like every sentence in this book has been so heavy. Yes. You could just feel the, feel the emotion in the words. And gosh, Kaya went through so much before this last part of the book, but oh my gosh, this, we stopped at the worst freaking part, by the way, because chapter 41 is literally Kaya, like, hiding from Chase after he beat the shit out of her and tried to rape her. And it took me so long to read this chapter, like, four days. It was a tough chapter. Yeah. And... Oh my gosh. So that's chapter 41, A Small Herd. So we'll mm -hmm. pick up where we left off. Yeah. I started underlining stuff in the book because I was running out of sticky notes because I kept making so many notes. I started <laughs> underlining things. And so one thing I had noted was she has PTSD from Pa, like her hiding and running away. And this one part that I feel like is a good foreshadow of the book, she said, the law would never believe the Marsh girl over Chase Andrews. They'd never defend her. They would say that she's acting the hoe. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> that twist, we all know I never saw that fucking twist come in, did we? Second to last page. <laughs> no. Like, opening up the last chapter and I was like, there's been no twist. Like, there's been no twist. And if Tate finally admits that he murdered Chase, like, I knew the whole fucking time. But then, whoa. Bitch. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> that was my exact thinking, too. I was like, where's the twist? Like, was her being found not guilty the twist? That, that doesn't feel like a twist. She wasn't even guilty. But wait, was she? <laughs> <laughs> Man, okay. Okay. I see you, Kaya. So when you were observing all those little firefly sequences, you were picking up the foreshadowing that the author was throwing down for us. Yes. I was, wasn't I? After I finished reading the book, I went back and was like, Kayla's right, Kayla's right. Oh, here's another firefly scene. Here's the freaking praying mantis scene. Man, I was right. Yeah. Okay, so then the next page, I wrote, she was terrified that Chase was going to kill her and then Tate with a heart because I just love Tate. Like, I mean, we get our happy ending, but she should have been more open with Tate at that time. Well, goddammit, so should he have. He had more experience talking to people when he was 19 and she was 15 than she did. True. So they're both to blame here. You're totally right about her having PTSD. She walked 45 minutes because she was afraid that he would find her boat. So she walked 45 minutes from her cabin to the reading cabin, which is fancy now, because they fixed everything up now that she's a famous author, but... She walked 45 minutes to hide from Chase because she knew he was going to come back. She knew. And on the second paragraph, or in the second paragraph of page 272, she's talking about how if only she could join and belong in some group here. Where is it? These five deer that oh, were yeah. um, nibbling some leaves over here outside of the reading cabin. And right after that, it talks about how she can barely see them because she's got one of her eyes swollen shut. So that attack was crazy bad, like crazy bad. 
she had a bruise on her eye for a month. And so on the next page, 273, I said that she's not a stranger to abuse because she's now realizing what her mother went through and is now like, okay, I get it. At the bottom, she says, I'll never live like that. Life wondering when and where the next fist will fall. So that's kind of also like, not only is she like thinking back to her mom and how her mom lived, but also I feel like could be planning Chase's murder at this point. She knew that she was going to murder him, but she wasn't sure like, yeah, how to do it. I wonder if she really knew deep down at this point that he was really going to be harassing her about this. She can't live. And on this page, I liked that line too, but on 273, what really got me was just the second and third paragraphs, the one that start with, she'd brought it on herself, consorting unchaperoned. I had such a hard time reading these two paragraphs because she's blaming herself for the sex under flashing neon lights marked only by blood smudged like animal tracks and oh, the shame like and it's not her fault chase picked her he knew she was vulnerable and men like that pick their victims not the other way around that's exactly true and it's just it also kind of resonates like to real life too because how many women fall for this or how many women are in abusive relationships and they they think it's their fault. They don't realize that the man that they're with has issues. So he's taking mm-hmm. the issues out on women. And so I feel like this chapter and those paragraphs specifically kind of mirror real life. Yeah, feelings. totally. They, I feel like a narcissist will convince you that you are the reason for the problems. So you'll be thinking about yourself, like, how could you prevent them being mad? How can you prevent these bad things from happening to them when really it's not you? They just made you think that it's them or that it's you, you know? Yeah. Like, in 1969, it was a year that she, like, 1969, the, the trial is a time period where she didn't get much sleep because she said Mm -hmm. finally she crawled into Tate's bed and slept under his quilt, waking often, listening for footsteps, then pulling the soft fabric closely around her face. So this tells me that she feels comfortable with Tate. Yeah. She finds comfort within Tate, but also like she doesn't sleep here. She doesn't sleep when she's in jail until Sunday justice. Right. Oh, sweet Sunday justice. Thank God for him. It's always the animals, isn't it? (laughs) It is. I... Thought, thought it was very interesting that Tate had a bed at the reading shack. Does he like stay out there when he is busy working and doesn't want to go all the way back to the village for home or for bed or what? That's what That's interesting. I, yeah, that was interesting because they never really talk about that. But so was the reading cabin, I must have forgotten it like at the beginning. That's just a random cabin that they found in the woods, right? Or in the marsh, right? Yeah. Jody and Kaya used to hang out up there. So Kaya knew about it. And it feels like it's on Kaya's land. But I'm looking at the map now. And maybe it's not on Kaya's land because Kaya's land is pretty far out by the coast. But just seems like an abandoned cabin that doesn't belong to anybody. Okay. Okay. And then they were just like, they commandeered it. Yeah. And it's really far from Barkley Cove. So that's probably why he has a bed there maybe but we end this chapter with some more foreshadowing with the insects she is literally talking about how a praying mantis is killing its mate while its mate is still mating with her and she says female insects know how to deal with lovers 
<laughs> and I like this one. This is another foreshadow. Female fireflies yep. draw in strange males with dishonest signals and eat them. I wonder what the last poem in this book could be about, Miss Amanda Hamilton. I don't think? know. <laughs> and, and then another PTSD moment she had from being beat is simple task she used to do. She now has, she has to live life on an edge. At least before when everyone left her, she knew that they were going to leave her. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't, she was like, well, I can still do this. It doesn't matter. Like I'm used to doing it by myself. I can just continue to do it. Whereas now she has to continuously look behind her, look she over says, her shoulder. Wherever she went, she mapped an escape route in her mind. So she's on the run now. Way more scary than when she was running from the truant officer. And I guarantee this is more scary than when she's running from those bitch ass police. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i ended this chapter saying that the town not seeing her beat the fuck up after chase's attack is not good for her case if they would have seen that maybe they would have had more sympathy quickly more quickly but then again uh, maybe they would have just decided that she was the killer more thoroughly and easily that's what i think that i also think that they would be like what did she do to deserve or like she yeah, what did she do to chase? Deserved or something like yeah. something along those lines. Or like, why would you say no now if you've never said no before? Because yeah. I feel like that's something that people like to shame women who have had sex with their attackers before with. Like, if you said yes once, it's always a yes. But that's like not the way consent works in any place in life. So yeah. And then we're on to chapter forty-two, a cell in nineteen seventy. Ugh. A lot of the end of this book is just the trial, and I really enjoyed how she judged everybody in the courthouse like they were birds, and the prosecutor was clearly a sneaky fucker with all of his bright colors and his dumb words. Yeah. I, w I just thought about how stupid the prosecutor was. Like... It's kind of hard to be like, <laughs> was he stupid? <laughs> because I know what happened. I mean, so in the end, like, he was, but. Yeah, like all of my notes are just kind of like, like well, that's pointless. But I mean, I guess it's not because we're going over how we felt in each chapter. So, yeah. uh, man, it's just so funny to like read this now that I know the ending, though, because one of my main notes was. Poetry gets her through so much. And it's always Amanda Hamilton. Also, Tate thinks her poetry is awful. <laughs> not that good. <laughs> She's not a very good one. <laughs> so I feel like we haven't clearly said, can we, like, there's going to be a spoiler at the end. Yeah, Maya yeah. Is Amanda Hamilton. She's been ghostwriting as Amanda Hamilton this whole time since she learned how to write. And read. And I... I thought that was a twist. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, is that the twist? It was, the twist was freaking layered. There were, mul there were so many parts. She was lying to everybody her whole life. She didn't even give it up during the trial. She's like, I guess I'm going to be executed and just held her head down. Like, okay, that's what's going to happen. And then we find out that she's been writing the poetry this whole time. The poetry that she like recites to get her through the most difficult times, she wrote herself. There's no badder bitch than Kaya and she knows it. Exactly. And even the ones where she's like, Ma, where she was talking about Ma, and she would recite the poem. That mm -hmm. was her. That was she her. wrote that. Yeah. So uh, I have goosebumps right now. How clever of the author to like, first of all, I didn't even read the first few poems that we wrote, like read in the book. I didn't even start reading the poems until like middle of the book when I realized how important they were. So oh like, gosh. good on the author for... <laughs> yeah. making that an extra layer of the story because I would have felt real bad if I skipped all of the poems by the end of the book 
Yeah, that was really good. And you know what else I really liked about this was the entire time we we never really knew if uh, Kaya was guilty or not. We never knew because the author didn't take us through that night with Kaya. We had to come up with how our perception of what happened through the lawyers. So not only were the lawyers trying to convince the jury, but mm-hmm. they were also trying to convince us in a way. Yeah. Like I, the only thing they mentioned was that she gets on the bus, that she just had to buy the ticket and she mm-hmm. got on the bus. Yep. And the time frame is so tight. Like it's crazy that she succeeded. Yeah. Oh man. I even so. noted that. I was like, yeah, okay, we need to get through here and then we can talk about that. When we get it's so, it's so crazy. I, I'm, Gosh, goosebumps, like I said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did write in on 276. She's the first female inmate that that county has ever had. Really? Yeah. That's not surprising to me. You know, a lot of true crime podcasts that I've listened to have female inmates from like a long time ago. And a lot of them had situations like this where they literally didn't know where to put them. One woman was on death row and the prison that she went to didn't have a death row for women. So she was just in her own building, like literally in her own building with no guard. Wow. For like 40 years, she didn't get put to death because she was wrongly convicted either way. You know what? I was, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or if I read it in this book, I think I was listening to you're wrong about, um, Mm that the criminal justice system because they have like csi junkie right now the criminal justice system doesn't look for like doesn't try to weed out the suspects they just try to find someone to prosecute and if it sounds like you're the one that kind of falls in line they don't Mm -hmm. care if you're innocent or not yeah they just want to close the case that sounds completely right to me. Cops, prosecutors, district attorneys, they're all doing a job. At the end of the day, all of these people besides the police have student loans to pay. So Yeah. <laughs> this is the same reason I don't trust doctors or anyone who gets paid to help you. If they're paying bills by helping you, they're helping themselves, motherfucker. Th- that is true. That's, that's another way to look at it. And you can also tell that, like, in this book and also in real life that prosecutors and sheriffs are kind of in cahoots with each other one another Mm -hmm. and try I feel like in a way lean the case to where the sheriffs aren't as honest as they could be because if the sheriffs doesn't agree with the prosecutor then they're going to have a harder time getting cases closed right that is such an actual fact in my opinion and it has to be that way because if the cop doesn't do a good enough job and they just give this case to the prosecutor and the prosecutor loses, that looks bad on the prosecutor, not the cop. Mm-hmm. So the, the prosecutor is going to make what the cop gives them work because they've already decided to take, to take this case to court. And the time to not look stupid was before they decided to take it to court. So if they decided to, they're going to make that shit work because they got bills to pay. Exactly. Okay, so before we move on, <laughs> I like this uh, paragraph on 277. Kaya heard every word of the trial. Being dead didn't bother her. They couldn't scare her with threats of ending the shadow life. But the process of being killed by another's hand, planned out and set to schedule, was so unthinkable it stopped her breath. So she's not afraid of death. She's afraid of ending her life based on what somebody else says. I spent a lot of chapters thinking she was going to try to kill herself if she got convicted. Oh. Um, so I thought she might be suicidal right here, not because she wants to die, but because fuck those village people for thinking they were going to decide when she died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My favorite, the part that stuck out to me most about this chapter, the cell, is that her, there's no mirror above the sink. It's a picture of fucking Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst thing that's happened to this book so far. 
<laughs> like that's so rude she can't even look at herself that's you could give her a plastic mirror they make plastic mirrors for babies <laughs> but what also stuck out to me is that they decided to use the word cell instead of cage and she's already looking at everything in the real world super analytically in the way she looks at things like in the marsh because she notices that they're saying cell instead of cage and she wonders who started that because there must have been a moment in time when humanity demanded this shift because a cell is a cage yes oh my gosh that stuck out to me too i was like wow that's this is so deep so deep and my last note for this chapter was just that poetry has gotten her through so much including this jail stint and i'm just thinking now like how much po did, poetry did she write in jail <laughs> you know what is so funny is i made that note but i think i made it after like the next poem i mm -hmm. think she does like she says another poem later on and i'm like wow poetry oh yeah in 299 she used emily dickinson's poetry and i said i love how she always finds her way back to poetry yep well it's because she's a poet <laughs> <laughs> how do we know <laughs> right <laughs> so chapter 43 is called a microscope and we're back in 1969 briefly a week after chase attacked her if she finds her way to um, Tate, and she goes to Tate's boat, and he goes, I have a new microscope to show you. And I wrote, they're so nerdy together, which is so cute. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> every single thing they do is so nerdy. Isn't it cute? Like, it is so cute. Chase could literally never keep Kaya entertained for the next 45 years of her life. He could never. <laughs> no. And I just thought to myself, I was like, man, <clears throat> I would love to have a partner that, like, thinks like stuff like that is like not like microscope but like that where we have things that we're nerdy about together hey maybe i should get into board games oh yeah maybe we should <laughs> <laughs> oh man so tate notices her bruise at this point she's trying to cover it and she thinks that she can hide it but like everybody who thinks they can hide marks on their face and neck with their hair is are all mistaken and chase or tate sees it and my note here was fuck this is why he kills chase which we know he doesn't <laughs> anyway <laughs> and it, he's so gentle with her because in this chapter he's like he sees it but he knows not to ask her about it and everybody who sees it immediately knows that it's fucking chase mm -hmm. and he's I wonder trying if he beats to... his wife i wonder i wonder if his wife was kind of relieved after he died Mm -hmm. yeah right i hope he had a good uh no never mind he was a high school gym teacher he did not have a good life insurance policy <laughs> i noted in here on 281 that chase or tate was trying to break down her walls and i feel like every time he would be near her after like messing up the first time he's been trying to make amends for it mm -hmm. he has yeah my my know about Tate on here was on page 280 because he has a kitchen on his boat. And I said, his boat has a kitchen? Okay, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Get him, Kaya. I love how he just notices everything about her. Like everything about the way she's being weird. And she has a bruise that looks like somebody punched her. Obviously, it's the only other human that she ever hangs out with. But he doesn't push it he's just like okay well we'll talk about this book because i don't want you to leave and this is when she mentioned oh he wants me to go to greenville at the end of october and then this is the red hat this is when we see when tate gives kaya the red hat yes and it's so cute he tosses it to her she catches it she laughs he uh gave her some snacks to take to the birds didn't he yes so he's he like spoiling her kids and giving her gifts he's trying to get her back he is slowly but surely 
But she's like, oh. I can't fall for him again. I will not get hurt all over again. And I said, I'd be stubborn too, to be honest. I would too. I wouldn't be able to trust him either. So 282. This is when she is heading back to feed the goals. She saw Chase's boat going toward her house. Mm-hmm. Men like that always had to have the last punch, she said. And so she hid for quite a while until he came out. This and I wrote, part, like, what did he want with her? But probably to beat her. Probably to threaten her and say, like, if this gets out, I will kill you. Blah, blah, blah. My heart was just, like, pounding at this part. Like, when she, like, sees his boat and, like, has to run. Oh, my gosh. So scary. I, this is where I noted this is even scarier than being on the run from the cops, I bet. I mean, I, I feel like she's hiding for her life. Yeah. She, and then here, she couldn't sleep again. Mm-hmm. Not being able to sleep is a motive for murder, y'all. Not jealousy. Not a, a shell necklace. But not sleeping for nine days? I'd kill somebody, too. Uh, yeah, I would, too, you know? And then <laughs> at the end of this chapter, the thing that stuck out to me is who decides the time to die? Yes, I could not decide if this was Kaya being suicidal because that was something that I had in the back of my head or if Kaya was deciding that if she was going to be able to live, meaning eat, sleep, and breathe with any sense of relaxation, Chase had to die. He did. And I feel and like, I feel like that's, that's true. The moment, I feel like that's the moment that she knew that it was either her or him. Mm-hmm. And I agree with her. Like, he... If he would have just disappeared and fucked off after that, then maybe it would have been fine. But he wasn't going to do that, obviously. He couldn't be, he couldn't be, like, his ego wouldn't allow him to be the type of guy that says, I just got my ass beat by the marsh girl. In front of three fishermen. Yep, he cannot be embarrassed. Mm -mm. So then we go to chapter 44, cellmate. I noted on here that she's being vulnerable, but I don't know who she's being vulnerable with. I should have been more in depth with my note. She's being vulnerable with a lot of people in this one, I think, but mostly the cat, probably. I was so nervous when I read the title of this chapter because I was like, Kaya cannot have a cellmate. They need to put somebody in the other cells, and thank God it was Sunday Justice. She's being vulnerable to Tate. That's what it was. She was yeah. thinking about Tate, and she, was, she still loves him. She does. Did you notice the spider web she'd scratched on her arm? Yes. This was another reason I thought she was suicidal. Like, self-harm? What's going on? That's true. And I wonder if that's the first time that she's ever harmed herself. It might be. But it's also the first time she's ever been in a cage for two months. So Yeah. And then the top line in 286, they abandoned her to survive and defend herself. So here she was by herself. So this isn't something that's new. She knows to do this, but she feel. I think she feels more alone because, like, this isn't by her choice. Like, well, none of it was by her choice, but, like, she's in a, such a small closure. She's in a cage. And she's never, like, really been this alone before because she always had her best friend in the marsh. And now they even took that away. She can't even smell the air. She's breathing in old fart air from the cellmates down the block. Nasty. Yeah. Now, she has some books that Tate and her lawyer brought her that she was able to read through. And then her lawyer just keeps visiting her and brings her things from jumping. Mm-hmm. I feel like the guard has sympathy or empathy for her. And I feel like the guard thinks that she's innocent and thinks that it's wrong. Yeah. 
Jacob is awesome. I was just so convinced at this point that she was going to try to kill herself. She ends page 287 saying, please get me out of here one way or the other. And I wrote like death. Like I was certain that she was going to kill herself if it went to the death penalty. But then Tom is like, you need to be engaged with the jury or they're not going to believe you. And she's not even fucking listening to him. She'd already left the room. She did. And I think this is the one where he's talking about a plea agreement. And so to me, I was like, okay, so maybe he doesn't think that she's innocent. And I also wrote, like, they allowed her to have a lot in jail. My next note on this page is this jail is chill as fuck. They just bring in packages of books and shit. That's not the way that it works. If you want to send a book to somebody in jail, you have to send it from a store. It can't come from you. You could send it from Amazon, but it can't come from your house where you put drugs in it, motherfucker. This is, like, irrelevant. But do you want to hear the story about this lawyer down here in Palm Beach County? He snuck cocaine into the jail in legal documents for his client yeah and i guess that was like a thing that he would always do recently that's a that's a huge felony yeah i mean besides the fact that he's never going to be a lawyer again yeah he's going to prison now oh my god it was worth it i mean and it just makes it even worse because he was a lawyer so he knew the law so they're deaf gonna prosecute him like oh my god why would you go to law school just to be a cocaine salesman? You don't need to go to law school for that. Nope. <laughs> my goodness. Most of my notes in this chapter are just like heart Sunday, heart Jacob, heart Tate. I'm crying right now. I wrote the guard is so nice. The people most judged have been the kindest to Kaya. He feels bad for Kaya. He's like, you need to eat your food, Kaya. And then she says she wants Sunday to come back and cuddle with her. So he starts making sure that Sunday ends his night in the jailhouse for her. So every night. And then, oh my gosh, this is the one I loved. Um, a loud erupted like a current. She closed her eyes at such an easy acceptance. I wrote this down, a deep pause and a lifetime of longing. So she found, even though it's a cat, she found something that is going to reciprocate or give her some sort of love that she's been looking for. I feel like this is a feat. Cats do not just give out love for free. <laughs> no. And you then have she, to prove something to them. You do. And she even gave her supper trays to the cat. Yes, she did. Some chicken. He took it right off the bone. I love it. Skipped the butter beans, though. He didn't like the beans. He liked the gravy. I was like, man, that's a good That was meal. the first time she slept. The first time she slept in, I would probably say, like, three months, right? Probably. So thank goodness for Jacob and sweet Sunday justice. I wrote an unlikely friendship with a cat to keep her sane. My favorite part about this whole thing with Jacob and the cat is that it seems like her circle's just getting bigger slowly but surely, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, I love it. She doesn't notice yet though. So then Tate comes and sees her and tells her that he's been feeding the goals every other day, but secretly he knows in the back of his head he's been going out there breakfast, lunch, and dinner and feeding the goals regardless of if he has work to do because (laughs) he misses Kaya so bad and that made me cry because, like, those are her babies and if anything's going to bring her back to Tate, it's going to be taking care of her babies while she's away because she's been worried. So worried. I, I cried at that part, too. I said, Tate really cares. Yeah, he even noticed poop. He did, and he told her, and she felt relieved. And then also, like, Tate is trying to get her back, and she told him that she, she like, you know, whatever, doesn't trust him. And she, he's like, I don't blame you, Kaya. And then 
uh, I'm just going to read this paragraph because I love it. She said, Tate, listen to me. For years, I longed to be with people. I really believed that someone would stay with me, that I would actually have friends and a family, be part of a group, but no one stayed, not you or one member of my family. Now I finally learned how to deal with that and how to protect myself, but I can't talk about this now. I appreciate you coming to see me. I do. And maybe someday we can be friends, but I can't think about what comes next, not in here. She finally is getting down to is keeping her so closed off from other people. Yeah. That and she tried and no one is trying for her. That's fair. She tried harder than a freaking six-year-old kid should have to. Every step of the way. And this isn't the first time that she goes off, like, explaining to somebody who's important to her, like, why she's not just going to do what everybody says she should do to be accepted now. You know? Like... Those town people hated me. I never hated them. You know? I love it. She's such a strong young woman now. And she, like, knows who she is and what she wants. And one of the things she doesn't fucking want is Chase to be alive. Yes. I wish I had her confidence and her um, knowing of, like, the things that I want Mm -hmm. and don't want. And that I was strong enough to stand up for myself like she does. Yeah, me too. And I wish that I could have those things without dealing with any of the shitty things that she did. But I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> Sadly. Yeah, same here. So on chapter 45 is Red Cap. And this is when they kind of go, is this when they go, start going into testimony? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I put, she got the cap before the murder. So to me that I'm like, well, that means Ch- or Tate couldn't have done it because she got the cap. Mm-hmm. And then I also noted, um, I'm shocked the judge stood up for people of color because Jumpin and Mabel were sitting up front in the front row, mm-hmm. and that's not where they were allowed to sit. Jumpin and Mabel had to go sit in the quote, quote, colored people section, and the judge was like, no, this is okay. They're going to stay here. Anybody of any color or creed could sit anywhere they wanted in his courtroom. And if somebody didn't like it, they were free to leave. I wrote, this judge, fuck those whites. (laughs) (laughs) Because really, y'all can sit in the back. You're only here to judge everyone anyway. You can can get your drama drama from the fucking street side for all we care. Yeah, so... Also, like, she only has three people supporting her. Let her fucking be. Let her yeah. be. And she said she felt a smidge of strength in her back strengthened slightly. And, ah, oh, gosh, I loved this part because, like, she's finally starting to notice that these people are here for her. Even though she thinks it's just because they want to be there to judge her and watch her downfall and she's super embarrassed. But that's not true. She's, they're tired of watching her be abused by this town. And so on 294, that's when we start going into testimony of people. And here is when I'm just like, okay, maybe she didn't do it. So I'm like, he could have walked backwards. He could yep. have walked backwards. Um, oh, my gosh. Who was the – oh, the coroner is the one that is testifying right here. And so – Dr. Cohn. The prosecutor was like, oh, he was pushed or whatever. And the coroner was like, oh, well, we can't really make that. And then her lawyer was like, there's no bruising to show that he was pushed. And he's like, right. And so the Kaya's lawyer was basically the only evidence you have is a shell necklace. Yeah. Just that he wasn't wearing a shell necklace. Like, I love Kaya's lawyer because he ended every single witness like basically having them say we don't have anything we don't actually have anything this is actually just a theory and we don't have anything which is what you want your defense attorney to do in a murder trial especially if you're guilty and we even learn here that 
the fibers, although they matched the red cap, they could have been on his jacket for four years. Yes. Yep. Even though we know she hasn't had the cap for four years, she just got it the day before he died, but reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's, he's doing such a good job throughout this whole chapter. Throughout the entire book. Yeah. The I, last few. I didn't take any notes in this chapter except this lawyer is good. It's really good. <laughs> and then this, I already said, but this is where I'm like, she finds her way. I love how she always finds her way back to poetry because at the end of this chapter is where she has an Emily Dickinson poem, the sweeping up the heart and putting love away. We shall not want to use again until eternity. So chapter 46 is king of the world. And we're back in 1969. Yep. And she goes to Jumpin's house a month after she got beat by Chase, and Jumpin notices her bruise. And she, she's still bruised a month later. That has got to be such a crazy bruise. Like, I've had bruises last a month, and they're from, like, me falling on ice or something, like, violently. That's crazy. It is, and I like how she, like, tries to play it off to jump in, and he goes, that's not a bruise from just falling, and so she, so he's like, was it Mr. Chase? And she's like, yeah, it was Chase. Jump in tries to get her to go to the cops, but she's like, they're not going to believe me, and so I noted she knew men wouldn't believe her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that jump in just cares for Kaya. And then he we does. Learn, we learn, because jump in dies, we learn that he always thought of Kaya as his daughter. I love that. He says that Chase should be whipped. I feel like everyone in town knows exactly the kind of dude that Chase is. Like, everybody assumes that he hit Kaya, probably because he wanted some something. And uh, everybody knows it. And she even doubts going to Greenville because she's like, if this bruise doesn't disappear, I'm not going to be able to go. Yeah. And she tells, jumping right here, like, he's like, you need to go to the police. You need to tell someone. And she says, I don't want to tell a bunch of men what happened to me. And, like, that is the worst part of dealing with being raped is then you have to go, like, re-victimize yourself to a bunch of cops who don't believe you. Well, I would not want to do that. (sighs) I really liked on page 301 the language. I have been looking up stuff on Google in this book since we started reading it. And he says it's a fur piece over there. But a trip would do you good. And I had to look up for peace. That means long distance. <laughs> oh. I didn't even yep. know. Me either. I was like, it's a fur piece over there. I thought it was going to be expensive to get over there or something. I thought that too. I ended this chapter thinking that Tom would call Jumpin' or Tate for a witness. And I'm surprised that he didn't. But it's probably because the judge, like, let them throw out the whole list of witnesses. Oh, when they were doing the the bus thing. Yeah. So that's basically it in chapter 46. And then we're on to chapter 47, the expert. There we go. And I, my note on this is, could Jumpin have pushed ta- or Chase? Because he knew about it. But joke's on me. Maybe I shouldn't even, like, read those notes. No, I should. I, because, like, that's my thinking through this whole thing of the lawyers trying to convince us. Well, I also thought that Jumpin might have pushed him after that scene. Because, like... I'm still convinced that it wasn't Kaya. Like, not Kaya, who didn't know how to ride a bus, changing into two different disguises to ride two more buses just to get on a fourth bus. Like, are you joking me? But (laughs) Okay. I I even wrote notes about the disguises that I cannot wait to go over. Yeah, me either. I'm just so shocked at this whole thing. But okay, we're in 1970, talking to the expert about the hair. 
and the hair fibers not even just the hair fibers but the uh, prints anything that's left behind and I love this chapter because Kaya's lawyer Tom Milton basically makes the sheriff stupid he is well makes him stupid he he lets the town know that he's been stupid this whole time My favorite part on this chapter, though, is 305 when uh, Tom does an objection because he's leading the witness. The the prosecutor is testifying this whole freaking trial and the judge sustains it. And I said, sustain, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love it. Every time an expert speaks in this case, the sheriff or this guy or the coroner, it's always could have been, could have been like never. This is what happened. And if I was a jury and somebody told me this could have happened and we should kill this person for it I would be like that's a strong no for me yeah I'm not gonna kill someone unless there's like solid evidence (laughs) unless there's a camera of that person doing something I will not Tom Milton is talking to the sheriff and he was like so don't you know that when the water rises it's going to get rid of um prints and stuff and so he's like he brings out the tide table for October 29th in the morning of Science October bitch. 30th. <laughs> he goes, see, Sheriff Jackson, it shows the low tide was around midnight. So at the time Chase arrived at the tower and walked to the steps, he would have made the track in the wet mud. And then when the tide came and the groundwater rose, his tracks were wiped out. And so I was like, I thought he was an expert. Shouldn't he know? And then he goes, but Sheriff, as you said, you're the expert. Train in footprint examination. And now you say you don't know if this is a common occurrence that happened that night or not. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then he says... <laughs> He's like, because the sheriff tells him, I didn't take any pictures. I'm the expert. And then he says, in my professional opinion, it seems unlikely, blah, blah, blah. But, and Tom says, thank you. More like, Pixar didn't happen. Sheriff, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) End of questions. (laughs) I also loved this one where Tom was like, why don't you just go out there at low tide, make some tracks and see if they're wiped out when the tide comes in. Like, you know, like investigating. That's what they do in a normal investigation. They like check the evidence and see if the story works instead of going to court with theories. (laughs) And then I also loved when Tom made Sheriff Jackson read out the uh, document that Jackson sent to the forest service about needing to get that fire tower fixed because someone could die because he said in his testimony that usually that back grate was not left open usually it was only the front one but in his written document to the forest service he said both those grates were a problem bitch I love this chapter Kaya would not get off without him he is such a good lawyer he is such a good lawyer Another thing that, like, I just can't stop thinking about throughout this whole trial in this chapter is that going through the criminal justice system is like being victimized again, regardless of if you're on the prosecution side or the defendant side. This is traumatic. It sounds It awful. is. I wouldn't trade places. So then on chapter 48, a trip. This is when Kaya goes to Greenville. And yep. she goes and lets Jump and know because she told him that she would let him know because he's worried that Chase is going to kill her. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is the one where he also finds out that Chase is dead, too. Yes, a lot of stuff happened on this one. We see the whole town, watch her get on the bus, and then come back to the bus stop to see her get off because, like, she's wearing normal clothes and they're curious about that. We see how concerned Jumpin' is about Chase possibly killing her. And then Jumpin' tells her when she gets back that 
Chase has already been found and her mouth goes dry. And I thought, oh man, she's sad that Chase just died, but more like she thought she'd have more time to hide from the cops before this was, this happened. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm coming back through it. And then we end this chapter with a poem. Never mm -hmm. underrate the heart capable of deeds. The mind cannot conceive. The heart dictates as well as feels. How else can you explain the path I have taken that you have taken the long way through this pass? Yeah, the murder trial that she's about to go through. Which brings us to chapter 49, disguises. Yeah, before we go to chapter 49, Jumpin' says at the end of chapter 48, thank the Lord she'd been in Greenville at the time of his death, or they'd put this on her. And they fucking try anyway, Jumpin'. The, yeah. Foreshadowing, right? So chapter 49, disguises. We're back at the trial. We get a new witness named Mr. Larry Price. Who is he? A bus driver, right? He's They're... a bus driver, yeah. And just this is where both they... of the bus drivers. Yeah, the ones from the evening. Uh, I made a note in here saying that these chairs must have been the same ones who questioned Brandon Dassey because they're just, like, putting testimony into their witnesses' <laughs> statements. Like, Tom asks both of these guys, like, the first bus driver that they're interviewing was the one on, like, an 1130 bus. So they're assuming that Kaya went to Greenville and then got on this new bus to go back to Barclay Cove to kill Chase and then get on another bus so that she could get on another bus in Greenville to like keep her alibi. So they're saying that she went to Greenville dressed in her Sears clothes and then hopped on this dude's bus at 11:30 dressed as a man. And Tom is asking the dude, "Did you actually think that that man was Kaya or did the sheriff tell you that you should think that that man was Kaya?" And the witness is like, "Oh, well now that you mention it, I didn't even think that that man could have been a woman until the sheriff said that it might be that." way so we know now that kaya really did dress as a man and hop on this bus and go back to go <laughs> and that's crazy that's crazy i was just like these sheriffs are crazy don't they know that the most simple solution is often the most correct nobody's dressing up as anything kaya didn't know how to get on a bus before and then on her way back to greenville we're supposed to believe she dressed up as a little old lady and she fucking did <laughs> and she fucking did with a wig kaya went and bought a wig <laughs> my god my god See, I'm glad that you're explaining this to me because even in my head, I'm like, how could she still do that? Like, how could she have done that? But she did it. It was her. And the time is literally, like, so tight. Like, she got off that bus, hopped on another bus after changing in the bathroom, and then got off the second bus, went and killed Chase in an hour, and then changed and hopped on a third bus so she could wake up and meet her editor in the morning and then hop on a fourth bus. Like, this is the busiest day of her life. She, she had business to do. She had business to do. She was, like, seriously just ridding society of some trash that we didn't need. Just taking out the trash. I did love that um, her lawyer was like, we can't accept the word guess in a murder trial. Yes, we have to be definitive. Details matter. But we end this chapter with Tom basically having both drivers say, Kaya was not on my bus. She was, though. She's just better at disguising herself than Sherlock Holmes which is so funny <laughs> and the sheriff so... thought she didn't know about fibers and this bitch is like a fucking CSI detective they should and hire it's, her it's so funny because like she somehow learned this by books that she has read because there's no tv she doesn't have conversations with people in the outside world like this is all stuff that she's just read so this or observed in the marsh yes and she is smart 
And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think she's probably observed animals changing their feathers or their appearances to trick people into stuff, and that's probably where she got the idea. Oh my gosh. But where did she get a fucking wig? I think that she had to go into Greenville to buy that wig. I think so, too. That's the only thing that makes sense. Wigs are hard to find. A gray wig, too? Like, who? I don't know. She, this is so premeditated, she totally would have got the death penalty if they would have found her guilty. Anyway, (laughs) that brings us to chapter 50. (laughs) Gosh, I just, like, I can't, like, this book is so good, you know? I just, I remember being at this point thinking, these cops are so dumb, like, they really think Kaya is too stupid to know about fibers, but they think she's, like, an Oscar-winning actress slash spy. Like, how could they be so off? But, like, she is an Oscar-winning actress and spy. <laughs> she <laughs> so. And an award-winning author. And she does so much stuff that we don't even know about. We're in Chapter 50 now, the journal. So this is where they call Chase's mom to the witness stand. And so on that first page on 316... The people called Mrs. Sam Andrews. Okay, so this is what I wrote in here. So, you know, 2020, when the election tried to get overturned and everyone in Georgia was saying that there was voter fraud because Mm -hmm. Georgia voted blue. One of the cases that they noted was an older woman voted saying Mrs. Her husband's name, her last name. And so everyone's like, oh, that's. Uh, that's voter fraud but like in the 70s obviously you could tell like that was a thing because women weren't allowed to have their own identities so they had to be mrs husband's name yeah and so i wrote here this is funny because of all the voter fraud stuff that if people actually like read books they would have known but (laughs) (laughs) do you even need to read a book to know that people go by different names sometimes (laughs) my name is brandois and i go by brandy are you gonna sue me is there voter fraud because i introduced myself at the like voter thing as brandy but write down brandois on my form no (laughs) (laughs) like we we don't even have time this week to get into all the stupid voting things that republicans have been trying to put into place so (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about this heartbreaking journal oh my gosh this is the first glimpse that we get into about her like how serious her relationship was with chase and that was really rude of that. Chase Talk. did not deserve her. She's such a good gift giver. She literally wrote them, like, hand-freaking drew them a journal of their time together. And we know she's an artist, world-renowned artist. Her drawings are published. And I, I didn't know that she made this. And so to me, I'm like, wow. And his mom still hated her, even though I feel like that's probably the most thoughtful gift that he could have gotten from anyone. He could have gotten from his wife. He could have gotten from his mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, because Patty was so taken aback at seeing her boy with that trash. Um, I wrote here that she would kill Chase before she left the town to find out about that. That's what I think, too. You know what? You're correct. And I like um, at the end of 317 how Chase turned pages in wonder but was slightly silent, nodding. And he's like, I've never had anything like this, leaning over to embrace her. And I think maybe even he loved that present for himself. I don't think that narcissists are, like, capable of love, but I think that Chase was, like, in whatever emotion that is as close to love as narcissists can get, like, obsession, like, possession, maybe, you know? I think possession. Uh, So, he probably did like all the things that his little slave gave him, but she was not a real person to him. 
not and, not somebody he could ever actually love somebody he could appreciate when she was around sort of and as I long wonder, as she was doing for him yeah and i wonder why like he never took off his necklace yeah like he obviously cared about her too but not enough to like stop being a narcissist <laughs> and not enough to not rape her i just like don't trust patty love though sam andrews i wrote fake name equals fake bitch <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about this chapter, though, was this is the chapter that Jody shows up at her trial. And whether Kaya realizes or not, he's a permanent part of her circle now. And she has people. And he's there just to make sure she's okay, not to judge her and not to do anything else. And it's so nice that she finally has people who want to do that. And it's because Tate called him, right? I don't know. Did they actually, like, say that? I don't think so. I don't think they ever said it. He just, like, showed up. And she assumed that he saw it in the paper. I wondered if Tate called, but I didn't remember reading a confirmation on that. I, I didn't either. I think it was the paper. Yeah. Anyway, this was a good, a good chapter in the way that we get a glimpse at her relationship with Chase at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very one-sided, as it was the whole time, I think. Yep. Okay, chapter 51, Waning Mood. A lot of the chapters are pretty short after this. They're just like one witness at a time, and we're getting the case fed to us. And I think we don't go back to 1969 after this. We're in 1970 until the end now. So it's going to be the rest of the trial and then the end. And this is the one where he, where Tom talks to the shrimpers that allegedly saw Kaya that early morning in October boat to... Where, to the fire tower. And again, Tom was like, we need to be for sure if that was her or not. We can't say maybe. Also, the judge starts freaking getting on the prosecutor's case because he's telling the witness to say that she was headed right towards the fire tower and the judge like bangs his gavel and said, could she not have been going somewhere else? It's a big fucking coast. And everybody starts like freaking out because the judge is getting involved. And I love that. Like, I feel like that's such an indication of which way this trial is going and how bullshit everybody thinks the prosecution's case is. That's what I thought too. I was like, even the judge knows the judge. I feel like the judge was on Kaya's side. And like, even, I even thought to myself, I know like it's illegal and the judge can't do that. But had the jury came back and thought that she was guilty, would the judge have overrode their verdict? Would the judge have been like, I wasn't convinced? And think, like, you guys are only convicting her because of her past. I don't think that he could do that. But what he could do in that situation is not give her as strong of a sentence. Okay. The jury would decide if she's guilty or not. And then the judge, in most cases, would decide the sentencing. So he could maybe just give her probation or, like, put her in a nice prison. Okay. That if makes he, sense. But it still sucks because if you are found guilty wrongfully, you are going to prison regardless of if the judge is nice to you or not. <laughs> so maybe that should, like, be changed in the law somewhere. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We got to change so much stuff. You know how hard it is to get unwrongfully convicted? It'll take, like, 20 to 40 years. You know how easy it is to get wrongfully convicted? It could take a week. If we you get a plea it deal, it could take a couple hours, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. the, every single chapter starts, like, in the courtroom with Kaya noticing something new. And I just love the way she's looking at every single person from her view of the marsh. And I wrote in here, it seems like you can learn everything in the marsh. She's noticing that the judge is obviously the alpha male. He's secure in his position. He's relaxed and unthreatened. Tom Millen was confident 
He had easy movements and stance. He was a powerful buck, acknowledged as such. But the prosecutor had to rely on bright ties and broad-shouldered suit jackets to enhance his status. A lesser male who needed to shout to be noticed. And I just thought right here that Eric is probably a sneaky fucker. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably Chase's buddy. He probably was. I liked how she did, like, mirror things to the marsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, Every, wow. everything comes back to the marsh. She learned a better education with the marsh than she ever could have in school. Mm-hmm. Would she have been paying school. attention if she was too busy worrying about what dress to wear? Nope. So basically, Hal is just saying that he knows for a fact that was Kaya's boat, and it was Kaya, even though he was not close enough to see her clothes or her face. And Hal, this fisherman, testifies that in three years, he's never not noticed Miss Clark on her boat. He's never identified her wrongly. So this ends pretty well for the state. This is the one where I was like, okay, they're going to convict her. Yeah. Every other chapter, it's like, they're going to convict her. They're not going to convict her. They're going to convict her. Even up to the freaking, like, verdict being read. I was, like, anxious. I got sick, and then I had to stop reading, like, four times. I was, like, sweating and, like, snapping at Matt because he kept interrupting me trying to read. And I was like, I got to find out what happens right now. (laughs) Chapter 52, Three Mountains Motel. Tom Milton calls his first witness. Mm -hmm. It's time for the defense to present their case. And I wrote that this is such a flimsy case on the state side. I hope this is easy. And I just can't help but laugh at all my notes because their flimsy case was exactly what fucking happened. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is a badass. Chase deserves what happened to him. He does. He does. Oh, man. So Milton calls the clerk at Piggly Wiggly and she just confirms that she saw Miss... Catherine Clark waiting at the bus stop at 2.30 p.m. Yep, and I'm sure she sounded just like that. (laughs) I'm sure she did. (laughs) This was, like, the first part in this reading that I was, like, really crying because she was giving Kaya extra money, and it was just, like, a little bit, but, like, she probably didn't have a lot of money either. So I just love how there, there was at least one other person in town helping Kaya. I loved that, too, and I also loved that, like, she wasn't tainted by how Kaya was like Mm-mm. and then Kaya was so as a such a, as a young child Kaya after her first time at the Piggly Wiggly first or second time she didn't want to go back because she was so embarrassed because she couldn't count money yeah but she didn't know that the clerk was actually helping her she didn't and I can't help but wonder if Sarah, the lady at the Pickly Weekly, she used to help Kaya's mom, so she probably knew that Kaya's dad was abusive. Like, she probably saw some bruises on Kaya's mom, so she probably um, had some understanding of what was going on in that household better than the other village folk did. I believe that, too. So, like, not only was she giving Kaya money when she was younger, like, and that money probably kept her alive in no uncertain terms, but she also went out of her way to go down to the sheriff's to, like, give her an alibi like sarah is a secret hero a silent hero right here not asking for any credit just doing the right thing do you think like she went down there in a way because she knew that the sheriff was gonna try and pin this on kaya oh for sure i feel like at that point everybody was trying to pin it on kaya before the cops even probably figured it out i bet everyone in town was talking about it and she works at the piggly wiggly so everybody was in there chit-chatting about it and she's like i better go say something before they freaking hang her the prosecutor didn't ask any questions because um 
because it's a solid alibi. And so instead, he says, I see from the witness list that the defense tends to call several townspeople to testify that she got on and off the trailway bus. Um, so can we just, and we already know this, so can we just throw out the witness list? You know, it's not even that they think this alibi is good. He's so convinced that they already tarnished this alibi by saying that she got off the bus and then went back to Barclay Cove on a different bus and then back to Greenwood Village on a different bus to, like, confirm this alibi. He's so confident that he convinced the jury that that's what happened that he doesn't even need to ask any more questions. And I wrote, this is so fucked. Because in my mind, the alibi was such bullshit i i remember stopping like reading at this point and looking at matt like did they just watch the robert durst docuseries when they like put this theory together because like nobody's dressing up as anybody but apparently people are <laughs> so what do i know see i didn't even wrote that i said oh man the defense is just such a great prosecutor like the defense is, has such a solid case yeah but tom like is nervous that he's not going to be able to bring up all these witnesses because it wasn't just people confirming that she got on the bus. These people were character witnesses. These were like a line of people saying, I don't think Kaya killed this man. And that would have been important for the jury to see. So he was kind of upset that they lost that. But then he calls their next witness who is a fucking creeper. He is bald and fubsy. He was the motel guy. Lang furlough. Oh my gosh. Kaya is so aware of her surroundings. So I've noted in here that she's been sexualized her entire life. Mm -hmm. And she sees him and she recalls how he lingered a little longer than he needed to until she opened up the door for him to leave. She had to open the door for him to leave. If a man who owned a hotel put me in my room and walked in and closed the door behind him, I would leave. I would not be staying in that motel, not with that motherfucker having a spare key to my room, no. No. Ugh. I wrote in here, men like him are the reason I don't smile at randos. Yep. Gross. Yep. But, I mean, he's a good witness for her, isn't he? Because he didn't take his eyes off her if he could help it. And then we have uh, the prosecution that comes in and asks him a bunch of questions and basically says, oh, so you were working that night. It's a possibility that Kaya could have left her room. Yeah. And I wrote here, the lawyer is testifying again. He is. But Kyle obviously did sneak past that creepy dude. I wonder if she just hopped out her window. Oh, that's a good one. This next paragraph is, oh, I cried at this one too because Scupper comes. He does. After having like some real serious like self growth. Uh, I noted that. He knows that Kaya is not going to get a fair trial, so I feel like he feels guilty in a way of that. He also knows that Tate loves her, and he doesn't understand why, and so he was like, I might as well just go and see. And then I noted in here that I think I'm amazed at how cool that he thinks Kaya is because he's like, or Tate was proudly showing off Kaya's books, and mm -hmm. his dad was like, I loved this one. He was so proud of his son, how he had always known what he wanted and how to achieve it. Well, Kaya had done the same against much bigger odds. So he thinks Kaya is just amazing. Kaya is amazing. And she is more amazing than Tate. No offense. Yeah. She could do everything Tate can do without a fancy college education. And the money and the everything. Money. And, and a so, dad. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was one reason why Scupper like finally had a, a wake an awakening it's bittersweet though isn't it because 
he's going to die soon. And Tate spent all of his time worrying about Kaya instead of Scupper when Scupper could have been helping him worry about Kaya. And they could have been bonding over this instead of spending all their time not together because Scupper didn't understand him. I feel like this happens so much with parents, like not understanding their kids. And instead of just being like, well, I don't understand this, but I'll just like try to talk to you about it anyway. They're just like, well, I don't understand. And I don't want to be confused. So just leave me alone. Like, okay, be alone then. (laughs) Makes me sad that it happened to poor Scupper because it seemed like he was a good guy. I know. It's always the good people. I mean, Kaya dies at a young age too. Jeez, I know. I know. I I feel so bad. Tate is going to be alone for 25 years. And all he ever wanted was her. Yeah, but at least he got 40 years of their goose marriage. (sighs) So cute. And now uh, Tom calls Robert Foster to I'm so glad they finally called him. I've been wondering if they were going to grab Mr. Foster. And that's what I thought. But I also wrote on here, how embarrassing is it to call her editor for her murder trial? And I was like, if she loses her book deal, because I don't know, like, how cancel culture is back then in the 70s. But if she lost her book deal, could she have sued the state after being found not guilty? I'd be trying to sue the state for putting me in jail for two months wrongly. Yeah, so. that too. That too. <laughs> for everything. But yeah, I'd be trying to get some damages on that if, if they could. That worried me too. Like, would she lose her book deal? But it seems like the fact that he came in here and he was like, there's no way that my writer did this. I feel like there was no way he was going to let her get away. And he seems to understand how, you know, shy and quiet she is. Yeah. Reserved. They testify in here that he picked Kaya up to go to dinner and then took her there. And then he's staying in a nice hotel. And so Eric was like, well, why didn't Kaya stay in that nice hotel? And Mr. Foster said, because she asked to stay at the Three Mountains. Mm-hmm. And then Eric was like, well, why did she say that? Is it because the bus stop is right there? So, again, he's leading the witness. But I feel like Robert is smart enough to be like, no, she stayed there because she is a shy person and being around a lot of people would probably make her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's right in the middle of town. I'm so glad that the people that know her are not just answering these questions like yes or no. And they're trying to plead her case. Because somebody has to. She's not gonna. She'd probably get up there and be like, let me tell you about fireflies. <laughs> That's, that, I, I was like thinking like, could she testify? And then I was like, no, because I feel like if Eric went to go ask her a question, she would just shut down. Mm-hmm. She would. And then that would look bad. When Robert was done, he sat with Tate, Scupper, Jody, Jumpin, and Mabel. This is her circle. Look at it. And it's like such a powerful circle of doctors and business owners and editors and important people. And Barkley Cove literally could not get on her level if they tried. She no. lives on like a fucking sanctuary that has been like designated by the government that it can never be destroyed. You guys are not anywhere near Kyle's level of fame and success. <laughs> Man. So anyways... This page 3330 is, she talks about her favorite picnic with Tate. And it's so sweet. Tate took her out for a morning picnic to see some geese. Like, they said half a million wings flapping in the air, so 250,000 geese landing in this prairie. And it was just the best picnic that she'd ever had, even after having a super fancy champagne 
dinner with her editor in the big city. She'd never think anything was better than this. And that just goes to show that she's always loved Tate. She loves him as much as she loves the Marsh, which is like crazy. Their relationship is so cute. Yeah, so cute. Um, this is such a long chapter. This one is one of the longer ones. Okay, so on page 333, that bottom chapter, this is when she's thinking, like, she... Oh, God, she's really imagining the fucking... The electric electric chair. chair. Yeah. So she knows her lawyer doesn't have that many witnesses to call after he had to get rid of all of the bus witnesses. Mm -hmm. So he called the sheriff and she's like, this, this is it. This is one of the last ones. And she starts having an anxiety attack. Yeah. I would too. Thinking about going to the electric chair. Chase had such an easier death than the electric chair. You know, they inject you with a paralytic agent so that when you actually die, since it's violent and painful, you don't move so that the audience feels comfortable. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And that's not even, that's the humane way that we do it now. Not in the electric chair. They literally have to put a wet sponge on your head to make sure that you get electrocuted good enough. They have to shave her shit bald before they put her in that chair (laughs) i would have a panic attack here too like i wouldn't have even made it to the trial i would have i would have taken that plea deal oh my gosh yeah i'll do six years don't kill me (laughs) but obviously she's not watching true crime like i am she hasn't watched anybody be put to death before she hasn't heard anybody's failure to be put to death before so she she hasn't panicked as much as i have about this when, when you talked about the electric chair, I just thought of Green Mile, and then I just cried, and then I'm just like, we just need to abolish the death penalty altogether. You know, the thing that it reminds me of is in some, I can't remember where it was, but that lady I was telling you about who went to prison um, for a crime she didn't commit, her husband went to prison for the same crime, and he was put to death. It was killing a cop, and they electrocuted him for so long that they thought the chair had malfunctioned. Like they tortured him to death and he was innocent. He was innocent. He was innocent. Oh my God. Yeah. Him, him and his wife had been kidnapped by somebody and that dude killed those cops and took off. And then the cops came and arrested him and his wife. Oh my God. Were they African-American? I think they were white, but I can look it up and send you a link later. But okay. that's what I'm picturing when I think of the electric chair is that dude being electrocuted for 20 minutes while everybody watched like shit bubble out of his mouth and nobody did anything. Oh my God. Yeah. So in my mind, if I'm Kaya, I'm having a panic attack right here too, because like, I know I killed Chase and I know that I'm going to be put to death. <laughs> ah, very scary. Like I said, traumatizing. I'm traumatized right now. I'm like, how am I going to get back to <laughs> Okay, well, I'll try to bring us back. So she starts to have this panic attack and shuts down and Tom asks the judge for a 15 minute recess. So they take it and he takes her into another room and asks her what's wrong. And she says, how can you even ask that? Isn't it obvious? How can anyone live through this? I feel too sick, too tired to sit there. Do I have to? Can the trial continue without me? And they decide no. She gets some something to drink and goes right back out. And all she thought after asking, like, how can, can this continue without me? All she wanted to do was go back to her cell and curl up with Sunday Justice. Yep. Yep. Where she assumes she's going to live the rest of her life because she knows she's guilty. 
Like, that's all I can think now that we're going back through this. <laughs> her reactions are not like her being scared that she's going to be found guilty as an innocent person. Her reactions are somebody who is guilty and she's scared that she's about to face the music. <laughs> yes. Because she thought she was able to cover everything up perfectly. Yeah. And you know what? If she wouldn't have taken that necklace, if she wouldn't have taken the fucking necklace, it probably would have been looked at as an accident because Patty Love would have never showed up. So Kaya doesn't want to go through the trial anymore. And Tom's like, it's almost over. We're doing closing arguments next. And don't worry if you don't win, then we'll do appeals, blah, blah, blah. And she doesn't even want to do appeals. She's done with all this. The thought of an appeal sickened her more than just being where she's at right now. Mm -hmm. Cause she'd have to go through different courtrooms. It wouldn't be in the same County. They'd have to have more people judge her. Uh, so they end up going back, and Tom starts questioning Sheriff Jackson, and this is the part that I was like, she's freaking innocent, because it doesn't make sense. Because he was like, so just so we're clear, Miss Clark snuck out of her motel late at night and walked from the Three Mountain Motel to the bus station, a trip of at least 20 minutes, because he starts laying out the time, and so in my head, I was like, okay, that makes sense. That she then... The 11.50 p.m. night bus from Greenville to Barkley Cove, but that bus was late, so she couldn't have arrived in Barkley Cove until 1.40. They claim that from the Barkley bus stop, she walked to the town wharf three or four minutes, then she boated to the cove near the fire tower. At least 20 minutes. Walked to the tower another eight minutes, climbed in the pitch dark, say four to five minutes at least, opened the grate a few seconds, waited for Chase, no time estimate, then all of this in reverse. And I was like, that's right, because didn't Chase die like around 1.40? Mm-hmm. And she had to get back in time to catch the bus back. So that's where, in my head, I was like, she didn't do any of this. Yeah, I wrote here, simple fact. That's just the way time works. And the sheriff says, it would have been tight. That's true. But she could have jogged. <laughs> and, like, this is where Tom is like, more theories then, huh, sheriff? <laughs> the time for theories was before you arrested Mix Clark. Because then he goes, no, but going by land is a good theory. <laughs> oh my god and i the eric doesn't even like really ask any questions does he he like comes in and asks one question trying to say that this is plausible again i wrote here eric should be disbarred because he keeps leading the witnesses yeah he wants to testify he does eric keeps saying sheriff isn't it true the waters near barkley cove are subjected to strong currents riptides and undertows that can influence the speed of a boat yeah that's true everybody that lives here knows that so someone who knew could take advantage of such current and boat quickly and i was like this is a this is a reach this is a reach but it is a reach so you're telling me that everybody in barkley cove killed chase this night is what you're telling me everybody who lives here knows this is a fact (laughs) and talking about it now makes me realize like so eric is basically saying like you should know the riptides and the currents as the sheriff but when it came to the footprints and the tides coming up to wash away the footprints eric was like that's not true that's not true yeah how does he know this I feel like everything that Eric does is just him trying to backpedal from some dumb shit that the sheriff has said. And I wrote down at this point, even the prosecutor knows that the investigation was kind of bullshit. But if they had investigated as well as Tom obviously had, they would have all of this proof about the, t- the riptides and like the 
currents in the like low tide and high tide or whatever and they would have been like kaya knows about these tides she wrote books about these tides she would have known how to use this tide like she knows about the currents she wrote books about this current look it's right in this part of her book like they could have really had a slam dunk case but instead they decided not to really investigate and to just like act on the whims of the townspeople and arrest somebody as fast as they could they didn't prepare like milton did bringing the chart and everything else at the end of this chapter, Tom goes, Sheriff, it doesn't make any difference what you're sure of or not. Do you have any evidence that a strong riptide was flowing the night of October 29th, 1969? No, I don't. End of chapter. <laughs> so I'm also wondering if at this time, if the sheriff is like, I should have done a better job at investigating this case. I suspect that all investigators in all criminal trials are probably feeling that during being questioned by the defense attorney. Because I sure would. Hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? It, it um, truly you is. Might be the expert footprint investigator of Barkley Cove in nineteen sixty nine. But what if this is being investigated in thirty years and you're dead, sir? You need photographs. Yep. You'll learn next time, won't you? Next time the Tom Turkey is found deceased outside the water tower, you're gonna take pictures. You're gonna learn from your mistakes. Yeah. I mean, or you'll be voted out. So. And never elected again. <laughs> Actually, they say he's never elected again, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I guess we know what happens. So we're on to chapter 53, Missing Link. And this might be my favorite chapter of the book because finally Tom, like, lets the townspeople know how shitty they all are and have been Kaya's whole life. Yeah. And he calls his last witness, Missing Link. He calls his last witness, which is Tim O'Neill, which is the owner of the ship that those two shrimpers said that they had saw Kaya on her boat that early morning. And so they called in the owner of the boat and um, he was just like, did you see Kaya? And he's like, no, I, I didn't know if it was her. It was too dark. So mm -hmm. like, I couldn't be sure. And the owner of this company also says, regardless of what my employees said, the boat that Kaya has is the most common boat in Barkley Cove. And it was too dark to even see if it was a woman driving. So once again, this witness is saying everyone in town is a suspect. And he's contradicting what his other people did. So even me thinking as a juror, I'm like, this is reasonable doubt. This is reasonable doubt. And this guy's in charge. So I'm probably going to believe him more just because of the way things work. That's exactly how I feel. I'd be more inclined to believe him versus two other people Tom, he's the expert yep tom thought at the beginning of this chapter that this guy was going to be the perfect last witness and i agree i agree he was so sure of himself and so sure that what those other guys saw was not right and i am inclined to believe him because he signs those guys paychecks yep eric questions tim and he goes tim even if you could not identify the boat or who exactly was in it do you agree that a rig about the same size and shape as miss clark's boat was headed toward the barkley cove fire at about this time the night chase andrews died and he was like yeah i can say it but it's it wasn't hers yeah yeah basically hers is one of the most common types of boats around after the questions from the defense that are redirect then the judge calls the recess and it's time for closing arguments Eric changes his tie for the closing arguments. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Well, maybe he didn't, but it says for closing arguments, he wore a wide gold and burgundy tie. And it seems like he changed it. Or maybe she didn't notice it before because she's only noticing things here and there. But I wrote, Eric really is just a pretty bird. He really is. 
So Eric just goes through, uh, I mean, basically his case against Kaya, that a fisherman saw Kaya tell Chase that she'll kill him. There were fibers on his jacket. The necklace was missing. And she might know about the currents increasing her speed. And, like, in the beginning of his closing arguments, he, he like, blows smoke up Chase's ass. Last mm-hmm. year, you lost one of your own sons, a young man, a shining star of your neighborhood, looking forward to a long life with his beautiful wife. If the shining star of the neighborhood is a woman beater and a rapist, I don't want to be part of that neighborhood. Just saying. Pick a new star. There's literally, somebody would have to do so little to be better than Chase to have that title. <laughs> yeah. Kaya is better than Chase. Oh, and yeah. then it, the ending of his closing, the closing of his closing, <laughs> <laughs> he said, we know from her lifestyle that she's very capable of boating at night, climbing the tower in the dark. It all fits together like clockwork. Like, it's so what? irritating. Her lifestyle, the lifestyle of literally the dudes who saw her out there. Oh, so the lifestyle of the people in this town. <laughs> What a yeah, dick. the lifestyle that she was forced to have because yeah. nobody opened up to her. Page 340 is just, that's the beginning of the defense's closing arguments. And we should note that she was tuning in and out through the prosecutor's closing arguments and the defense closing arguments. Mm-hmm. This is after her episode, her panic attack, and now she's just trying to get through the day so she can get her verdict and be done with this shit. Um, do you, I just feel like we have to read like the opening of his opening sentence, uh, his opening. Yeah. Did Go you want to do that or you want me to? Go for it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I grew up in Barkley Cove and when I was a younger man, I heard the tall tales about the Marsh girl. Yes. Let's just get this out in the open. We called her the Marsh girl. Many still call her that. Some people whispered that she was part wolf or the missing link between ape and man, that her eyes glowed in the dark. Yet in reality, she was only an abandoned child, a little girl surviving on her own in a swamp, hungry and cold. But we didn't help her except for one of her only friends jump in. Not one of our churches, our community groups offered her food or clothes. Instead, we labeled and rejected her because we thought she was different. But ladies and gentlemen, did we exclude Miss Clark because she was different or was she different because we excluded her? If we had taken her in as one of our own, I think that is what she would be today. If we had fed, clothed, and loved her, invited her into our churches and homes, we wouldn't be prejudiced against her. And I believe she would not be sitting here today accused of a crime. So there, I'm just like, he is basically calling out all of the Christians, quote unquote, Christians for not being Christian enough. The churches didn't even help her. I think that's probably what got that got the jury. They're like, wow, there's some Christians on there that didn't help her too. For sure. I, they called her the missing link between ape and man. And she's literally an abandoned starving child. That's crazy. And you know, like, I just can't help but think about how topical this is because like everyone's trying to outlaw abortions, but like they don't like children who aren't taken care of. Exactly. Okay. So why should we create more children who aren't going to be taken care of? (laughs) Ah, Anyway. (laughs) Oh man. 
Yeah. So Tom's closing is fucking perfection though. Way to shame the entire town. And I'm so glad that somebody let them know what trash they all are because they too abandoned that little girl. Like when a child is abandoned, what happens to them? They go into foster care. They are helped by the system. That didn't happen here. And typically the system doesn't do much help anyway, because she could have gone into a home where someone raped her even more. So like Mm -hmm. in this aspect, she was probably better off being raised by the marsh. Yeah, she I, chose her own path, so. She did. And so Milton just keeps going. There's no evidence. There's no way to prove that she did this. There's no footprints. There's no weapon. There's no wounds, like nothing. And then at the end of it, he talks about, oh, yes, I love this. Sorry, I have to read this one too. Okay. I know most of you very well, and I know you can set aside any form of prejudice against Miss Clark, even though she only went to school one day in her life because the other children harassed her. She educated herself and became a well-known naturalist and author. We called her the Marsh Girl, now scientific institution as the Marsh expert. And I was and just she like, is. boom, take that t- tall, skinny blonde. Take that, always wears pearls. Yeah, what do they have? Husbands who cheat on them and not much else. Not um, much else. I love that part. It's, it's so good. And I feel like those children who harassed her are sitting in the courtroom as her peers right now. That's what I think too. They remember that episode. And like, I don't know if you ever remember like witnessing kids getting bullied when you were younger, but I like cringe about it now. Like I feel worse about it now than I did when I was younger. So I hope that they take that shit to the grave. I hope that they feel shame. When the lawyer was calling this out, I hope they felt shame because you will constantly just like randomly at night, you'll get like that shame feeling and it, mm. it sucks. So I hope that that's, how they felt yeah I hope they're getting no sleep (laughs) it really is randomly at night like you're about to fall asleep and you're like oh my god remember that thing I failed to do 15 years ago I'll never sleep again yep that's exactly (laughs) it and then you're like I have to take melatonin to help me go to bed I take melatonin every night (laughs) (laughs) all right we're on chapter 54 vice versa um we're waiting for the verdict and this shit stressed me out waiting oh my god and everyone waits know. for her. And yeah. And I didn't know that. I don't know if like this trial, if the closing arguments happened the same day that Robert Foster testified or if Robert Foster came back. It seems like it was all the same day. They did like a 15 minute recess and then Robert testified and then they did a 20 minute recess and then did closing arguments. Okay. Okay. So it seems like this is all happening the same day pretty quickly. And then immediately um, Tom takes all the white people to a room that they can wait in and Jumpin' and Mabel have to wait outside because this town is still in the 1920s or something. Yeah. Why can't they do anything right? Like nothing. (laughs) They can't, they can't care for abandoned children. Right. They can't like desegregate. Right. Like, ugh, I hate them, but I love that everybody is staying for her no matter how stressful it is, no matter like, the obstacles that they have to overcome, they want to make sure that she knows she's not alone, even though she is certain that she's alone. And they were like, where's Kaya? Mm-hmm. Well, they had to take her back to her cell. Yeah. And not like she would want to see anybody anyways at this point. No, I think she just wanted Sunday justice. Mm-hmm. So they could have gone out for lunch, but they were just like, they didn't want to go because they knew the townspeople would be gossiping. So Tom orders them lunch. Yeah. 
And the townspeople are probably gossiping, but I'm kind of curious what they're saying. Do you think some of them are being like, maybe we shouldn't have made that bus ride home for her so bad. Maybe we shouldn't have done this or that. Like, I hope some of them are thinking about how shitty they are and how shitty their kids probably are to other people too. That's what I'm wondering. And I'm wondering if they're like, if she is acquitted, should we make it right? Yeah. And uh, spoiler alert, she doesn't ever go back to the town afterwards. Because fuck that town. She doesn't need them. She could probably Amazon deliver everything straight to her marsh back in 1970. (laughs) She's famous. She is. So on page 343 on that, like, bottom chapter, it says, tutored by millions of minutes alone, Kaya thought she knew lonely. Uh, She doesn't know lonely like this with no marsh to keep her company. Um, I wrote right here that if she goes to prison, she'll never actually be alone again, which probably won't be a very good thing. Yeah, but I mean, do they have women prisons at this time? Would she be the only woman in a prison? I think they do have women prisons at this time, but if she's on death row, she'd probably be on her own because I don't think they had a lot of women on death row. Death row inmates seem pretty on their own anyways. There's only a couple at a time and they're all in their own part of the prison. And I think it's because they probably don't give a fuck and they probably do whatever they want. (laughs) They probably cause problems. (laughs) They probably do. And then on 344, I don't know if you remember uh, when she stepped on that nail and the fear of lockjaw came into her mind. Yes, I do. she, (laughs) She talks about... And, like the verdict and everything and she's like this is like lockjaw I, I twist I'm torturing myself in a life of doom and then I felt like she was in a way giving up on marsh animals because she couldn't even look out the window at the marsh she couldn't get the motivation to go look for raptors over the marsh I love that she calls them raptors because birds are more related to dinosaurs than lizards are they say now that's that's true yeah that's true So it's been two hours and Tom says there's some news, but it's not a verdict. The jurors are just looking at more evidence and he's not sure if this is good, but at least it's not a guilty verdict yet. That's true. And then a mere two hours later, it's 430 and Kaya's coming into the room to hear the verdict. I wrote, I'm sick. I got I so wrote, I'm sick right now. That's so funny. My stomach was hurting. I wrote, I'm sick right now. So fucking tense. <laughs> I had to put the book down. I was like, shit, I can't do this. I think I stopped reading after this one for a little bit. This chapter, I was putting the book down so much and like talking about like, I couldn't do this. I literally could not do this. <laughs> oh um, my God. They're waiting for the verdict to be read and Hal is wondering if he was wrong somehow. And I was like, you fucking were, but he was right. <laughs> And the courtroom filled in less than 10 minutes. Everybody wants to see her go to jail, in oh. my opinion. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm getting it. My stomach is, like, in knots again just going over this. Well, and even Tate is getting frustrated at this point because now all the jury's in there. Kaya's standing. Somebody hands the judge a piece of paper. He reads it. He hands it back to somebody. And Tate's like, could somebody read it to us? <laughs> and finally, finally, Miss Jones reads that they find her not guilty as charged in first degree murder of mr chase andrews kaya buckled and sat tom followed tate blinked jody sucked in air mabel sobbed but the gallery they stood motionless there were some people who were angry and complaining but the judge says silence miss clark the jury has found you not guilty you're free to go and i apologize on behalf of the state that you served two months in jail and i said an apology a real judge would never <laughs> I, know. I love that the townspeople are like did she say not guilty yeah 
<laughs> but and then there's a group of men in overalls in the back and I'm just like rolling my eyes like what are they gonna do are they gonna attack Kaya right now in court is that what's gonna happen like okay I love that the truant officers shed a cheer yes for the little swamp truant escaping again yeah someone said <sighs> the sheriff messed it up for Eric he's been strutting around like he's on gun smoke <laughs> can't Eric declare a mistrial and then I realized like they're really stupid because a mistrial means that she like wouldn't be able to be charged again. I mean she can't be charged again also but... like do you think prosecutors can just like do whatever they want they're officers of the court <laughs> <laughs> they can't declare shit if they want to speak they have to ask permission they're not declaring shit this is not their room <laughs> that's great but Kaya actually accepts a car ride from Jody. And goes home. And this one, Robert is like, can't wait for your next book. I was like, glad yes! Robert's still standing by her. Her people are all just like, okay, well, you're innocent now. Can't wait to see you tomorrow. Everything should go back to normal now. Mabel gives her a hug. She doesn't give a fuck who sees. Jumping could never. <laughs> <laughs> Would the townspeople be like, oh, the Marsh girl sleeping with Jumping? <laughs> I just feel like he didn't want to give her a hug because... He has white people who come into his business. He probably oh. needs to keep up appearances around there. That's what I thought when he was really standoffish about giving her a hug. I feel like if it hadn't have been at his work, then maybe he would have. Okay. But there's a lot of people who would see that, you know? Okay. But maybe that's also not the case. But this is the second time Mabel has hugged her, so she doesn't care about what society thinks is right or wrong. And she's right because what society thinks is right is bullshit. Then she hops up in the truck and goes home with Jody after saying bye to everybody. Even Scupper gave her a little pat pat on the shoulder. This is more physical contact than she's ever had with like this many people. Yeah. She even said goodbye to Sunday Justice. Yes. I was kind of hoping that she would take him, but. I was too. I wonder if she ever gets a cat. So then chapter 55, Grass Flowers. This is when she goes home. And she's just excited to be home, and she goes and sees the goals. Mm -hmm. Straight away. Just, yeah, and I said, maybe now the townspeople will leave her alone. But she never goes back, so that was a joke on me. Jody's like, you should go back to the town and try to get some acceptance, because this not guilty verdict might have been, like, their first step in accepting you. And she's like, that's what nobody understands about me. I never hated people. They hated me. They laughed at me. They left me. They harassed me. They attacked me. Well, it's true. I've learned to live without them, without you, without Ma or anybody. And she was like, maybe I'm just tired. She's like, actually, I'm exhausted. And she's like, I need to get over all this. The trial, jail, the thought of being executed by myself, because by myself is all I've ever known. So she's just basically saying that I need to do this by myself and you being here is not going to help. Mm -hmm. And he makes her dinner and then leaves. Yep. She eats the dinner when he leaves her favorite chicken pot pie. And she starts painting her new book, which is going to be about grass, which Chase said didn't have flowers. And she said most people rarely notice grasses except to mow, trample, or poison them. And I bet she relates to grass a lot. I bet she does, too. Oh, and then this one is she's at the beach, and she's reflecting on herself. She's doing some self-reflection. And she's like, why am I angry? Why now? Why, am I so, why was I so mean to Jody? And she just she just cries, and I think that was a much needed breakdown. Yeah, and the only person that she wanted to snuggle with 
with Sunday Justice. The best snuggler ever. So after she's done having her little moment, she goes out to the beach and she finds a a feather, two pelican feathers, just like the one Tate had put in the dictionary he gave her for Christmas. And I wrote, that's a sign. And then we get another amazing Amanda Hamilton poem. You came again, blinding my eyes, like the shimmer of sun upon the sea. Just as I feel free, the moon cast your face upon the sill. Every, each time I forget you, your eyes haunt my heart and it falls still. And so farewell until the next time you come, until I, at last I do not see you. So everything, Amanda Hamilton, all of her poems were about Tate. So it makes sense that whenever she has something. So hear me out right here. Hear me out right here. She says she whispered a verse by Amanda Hamilton. What if she just just wrote that verse what if she just made that up oh my gosh because anything she whispers is technically by amanda hamilton since amanda hamilton is kaya that could that could be it that could i that's what i'm thinking yes yes (laughs) (laughs) oh man that is a good one and i'm so glad that she went out to the beach and found those feathers because that was just the perfect time she was just like thinking like i'm having the wrong emotions right now and then the universe plopped this sign right down in her lap for her to go see tate and, and she, re- she reflected. yeah i i wrote down that i'm wondering if she has a new appreciation for the marsh because she missed she, it yeah, and she's on the boat and then as soon as she's going across the lagoon she's dipping her fingers into the clear deep water so now i'm like she must have a new appreciation Mm-hmm. distance makes the heart grow fonder and i loved that she said i'll collect all day anything i want mm-hmm. so she sees tate oh my gosh this is a sad chapter i teared up on page 353 <laughs> because tate sees her and then he says or he thinks he hadn't decided exactly what he'd say to her but kissing some sense into her came to mind and i was like oh my gosh tate i love you i love um, that but then the sheriff pops up and fucking takes Tate. And I was like, I was thinking in the back of my head, I, I was, I'd been wondering if they were still investigating Chase's death because technically they don't have a killer yet. And apparently they fucking did. And now Tate's going to be in jail and Kai's never going to get her happy ending. And that's what I was thinking when we ended this chapter. <laughs> that's how I was thinking too. I was like, oh my gosh, they found evidence that Tate did it. <laughs> I wrote, Kaya's going to live alone forever. Big capital letters. <laughs> I wrote, they must have found the shell necklace and Tate's belongings. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And then she finally admits that she loves Tate. And he's her person. Now that he's arrested, in my opinion. And is this the one where she's like, I've loved him since, like, I was little? Or is that when Mm -hmm. she's, like, telling – I think that's when she tells him. She's like, I loved you since I was little or something. And I was like, I think she does that on the next chapter. What she says here is, finally, after a lifetime, she admitted it was the chance of seeing Tate, the hope of rounding a creek bend and watching him through the reeds that had pulled her into the marsh every day of her life since she was seven. Oh, okay. So – she doesn't love Tate more than she loves the Marsh. She loves the Marsh because of Tate. Marsh, the Marsh is Tate. Tate is the Marsh. When she was three, he was showing her Marsh things. So her whole life has just basically been manifested by things that she grew up doing mm-hmm. because of Tate. Oh my gosh, I love him even more. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, so we go to chapter 56, The Night Heron, the second to last chapter. And um, it starts in the but- graveyard of Barkley Cove. Tate's dad died. Scupper died. Yep, and that's why the sheriff came and got Tate. He was letting him know that Scupper died and not that he was under arrest. Tate is not under arrest. They've given up who could be Chase's murderer. Yep. Oh, man, and then this is the one where 
I loved that Tate went back to the grave and brought some stuff for his dad. And I thought maybe that Tate would be moving on from Kaya because he sits there and he remembers, like, he spent no time with Scupper because he was so busy worried about Kaya, trying mm-hmm. to get Kaya back, thinking about her nonstop, that he just didn't spend that time with his dad. Scupper so would have understood thought... tracking love through the mud, he said. Or Tate thought that. So I think that Tate thinks that Scupper understands why he was chasing after Kaya, especially after Scupper showing up to support them at the trial. Yeah. I mean, Scupper painted his red boat red every year after his mom died because of his mom. So he knew he knew the heart wants what the heart wants. I don't think Scupper ever moved on. I don't think so either. And Tate's thinking about how his dad's definition of a man was one who could cry freely and feel poetry and opera in his heart and do whatever it takes to defend a woman. And I just feel like... Um, he was a feminist. He was a feminist. I love me some Scupper. I wish he would have realized it earlier. But I also feel like Scupper would have thought that what Tate should be doing is figuring out how to be with Kaya. So I don't think that Scupper would have thought he wasted his time not hanging out with him. That's what I think, too. I think Scupper understood in a way. Yeah, and I think that Scupper probably blamed himself for them not hanging out those last two months because it was Scupper who didn't understand what was going on. And, you know, he caused the rift. But Tate's alone now. is just weird. Tate is alone. And my my thought process while reading this chapter was either Tate is going to move on from Kaya and or he was going to go to her and give her an ultimatum of like, listen, I'm tired of this back and forth together or just leave me alone. And that's he fucking what does, I doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but I also noted on here that death is awkward. I wrote on page 357, I hate this part of death, the awkwardness, where several fishermen are just walking up to him on the dock and like giving them their condolences. It's so, I, I hate that part. <laughs> yeah. And he gets on his boat and he sees a black or a brown feather. Yes. And, and so this he is where Kaya. they have their conversation. Yes. Oh, I love it. He says, I love He chases Kaya. her down, going too fast through the channels. Branches are slapping the boat. Yep. He finds her. And she's in a white skirt and a pale blue sweater. She's looking like a normal person. The colors of wings. Yep. Well, they both love birds. And then he gets to where he goes, I love you, Kaya. You know that. You've known it for a long time. She says, you left like all the others. He says, I'll never leave you again. She said, I know. And then he says, do you love me? You've never spoken those words to me. And then she goes, I've always loved you, even as a child. In a time I don't remember, I already loved you. So I said, I'm crying right now. So sweet. And then he says, look at me. I need to know that the running and hiding are over, that you can love me without being afraid. She lifted her face and looked into his eyes, then led him through the woods to the oak grove, the place of the feather. I feel like they boned after this, and it was probably awesome. The the best lovemaking the either two they've ever had. She was probably like, what? This is a one and done. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much better than Chase. I see why people like it now. Yeah. And then we are on our last chapter the firefly how did this not tell me what the twist was gonna be i'm reading the title now like how did i not put this together (laughs) we've known since the beginning the fireflies killing their mate 
So chapter 57 is us basically getting our happy ending. There's no year. It talks to us about how their days were normal. They like just lived their normal life out on the marsh. Tate asked her to marry him. And he says, she says, we are married like the geese. And I wrote, this is how I got married too. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay, I can live with that. So like they don't have a marriage title or or marriage like certificate or anything. Mm -mm. And during the day they would just cruise their, uh, channels and go through like wade through the water collect feathers she got a job offer at tate's lab but she turned it down so she could just continue writing books and then they hired a fix-it man to build a lab for kaya yeah she got her own lab i love that but she kept everything shacky on the outside so it always looked the way it always looked and I love that they swam naked in the moon. Yes. Um, Jody and his wife had kids, and they would come over a few times a year. But Kaya and Tate never had kids. They tried, but they couldn't ever. And they talked about how she never went back to Barkley Cove, and um, the sheriff never got reelected. Everybody agreed she shouldn't have been arrested. And nobody ever found out what happened to Chase. Um, I wrote in here that, and well, I said her inner child never healed, but... I think that Tate helped. So I went to therapy a few times. Mm -hmm. And one thing that they talked about was like healing your inner child. Mm -hmm. And I feel like she was able to finally heal it because even when Tate would go to a collecting trip, he would always come back and she breathed deep knowing that he would always come back. So I'm like, she finally was able to heal her inner child of the fear of people leaving her and abandoning her. Yeah. She had some real abandonment issues for a real reason. And then on 361, we learned that Jumpin' died. And Kaya didn't want to be around the townspeople so much that she didn't go to the funeral. Mm -hmm. But she did get blackberry jam and went over to Mabel's house to get it to him. And Mabel said, he loved you like his own daughter. And Kaya said, I know. He was my pa. I'm going to cry. I know. I'm going to cry, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was really sweet. We're just going to skip over that part so we don't cry, okay? Yeah, I wrote lots of parts. (laughs) She went to the beach, and that's where she got her closure of everything. She said, goodbye, Ma. And she didn't really know the others well, her dad or her other brothers and sisters. This was the first time somebody had left her life in a natural-feeling way and not in a way that was, like, them purposely leaving her life. And now she's finally accepting that not all loss feels that way, so now she feels like maybe she can move on from those other losses. That's, that's how I took it, too. And then Jody and Libby came, and their children are named Murph and Mindy. Isn't that? Those are some of the other siblings? kids' names. Yes, I know Murph for sure. So I'm wondering if Jody ever, like, met up with those other siblings or if it was just done. Probably I think not. it was just done. Yeah, I mean, how would they even find each other? Yeah. They didn't have 23 and Me. No, no. I'm sure if Kaya's name was in the paper and – the other siblings weren't ever around to come and check on it, then they probably didn't even know what her name was. Yeah. So then um, it just goes on to talk about what happens in the town. Kaya's books are in every shop. The prices are starting to go up. And they just live their life. Kaya got a bunch of awards for her books, and Tate was a doctor. And they hoped for a family, but children never came, which I feel like the Marsh was their kids. Yeah. I really liked on uh, page 363, 
they're talking about how Kaya would walk alone on the beach and she would just reach out and touch things, feeling the connections, um, not connections like Ma and Mabel had spoken of. And I just could not help but say something about this because like those connections like are out there, like with the air and the molecules and all this shit, like we're all space stuff, like humans and the planet and the sun, we all came from the same little big bang space thing. So there are connections out there, not just friendships and shit, but with like the shit that we're made of, carbon and shit. And staying on that connections, I think for people, for like average people like you and me or Toscany Blonde, they don't know that the connections are there because they don't immerse themselves into what Kaya did, the marsh. Yeah. She lived and breathed the marsh. Right. She probably has such a sense of consciousness that we wouldn't be able to ever attain that I feel like the aliens would probably try to talk to her. Yeah. That's what we need to get to. The the aliens, that that should be the only person that they would trust. Yeah. Uh, I loved Tate's devotion eventually convinced her that human love is more than the bizarre mating the marsh creatures. But life also taught her that ancient genes for survival still persist in some undesirable forms among the twists and turns of man's genetic code. So, like, men are kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh, dang it. So on the next page, Kaya is 64 and Tate finds her dead. In her boat. So In her she, boat. Something she loved. It, it sounds like it was a nice peaceful death. It just says her heart quietly stopped. And then Tate starts kind of going through the shack after the yeah. funeral. Because she used to keep enough wood over this part of the shack that she mm-hmm. can take out. And now the wood is starting to go down. So Tate notices the a- linoleum isn't complete. And found a box of stuff. Yeah. And there's the deed for the property in there. She doesn't have a will. Tate wanted to live his days out the rest of his days out at her place and Jody mm-hmm. was fine with that. Jody yes. was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is good because that's what Kaya would have wanted. Yep. And now we find out Kaya's Amanda Hamilton. Yep. Um, in the box, Tate finds all of these half-written poems that she had been writing and puts it together. He grimaces in disbelief. That's what he says. Her poems were weak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he reads this poem called The Firefly. Luring him was easy, as flashing valentines, but like a lady firefly, they hid a secret call to die. A final touch, unfinished, the last step, a trap. Down, down he falls, his eyes still holding mine, until they see another world. I saw them change, first a question, then an answer, finally an end. A love itself passing to whatever it was before it began. A.H. And here we have the twist. She just confessed to murder. She killed Chase. She tricked him purposely, pushed him out of that fucking grate, and then watched the light extinguish from his eyes, and then never spoke about it again like a badass. And Tate unraveled a little napkin that was in that box and found the necklace. The necklace that she took (laughs) off of Chase's dead body. Um, And then what does Tate do? He destroys the evidence. He takes it out to the beach and destroys it that way. He burns the necklace, the rope of the necklace, mm-hmm. and then he... He burns her poems? He burns the poems, and then he just 
leaves the shell on the beach. Yep, he dropped it in where all the others were, and it looked the same as all the others, so it vanished, keeping her secrets deep. Way out yonder, where the crawdads sing. When he walked back toward the shack after doing that, he stopped under the deep canopy and watched hundreds of fireflies beckoning far into the dark reaches of the marsh. I loved that ending, and honestly, I was convinced from the beginning that Kaya couldn't have possibly killed him, but she fucking did, and I'm glad that she did. He deserved it. Um, Nobody was going to defend her but her. Exactly. Did you like the ending? I loved it. This is the best book that I've ever read in my life. <laughs> and that, I, I did not expect it at all. I, I did not expect it at all. And like, I'm tearing up right now because I'm so sad that this book is over. And I just feel like the movie isn't going to give the book justice. I have been wondering if I'm even going to watch the movie because I agree that it's not going to give the book justice. How are they going to make me feel the things that I just felt? So I don't it, think they're going to be able to do it. <laughs> I don't think so either. But one question I do want to go over in the discussion guide on page 387. Number 12. In the end of the novel, Kaya thinks most of what she knew she'd learned from the wild nature had nurtured, tutored, and protected her when no one else would if consequences resulted from her behaving differently than they were two function of life's fundamental cores. So what do you think she meant by that? And do you agree with her philosophy? If consequences resulted from her behaving differently, then they too were functions of life's fundamental core. Hmm. Is she trying to justify her murder right I there? think so. I think so. Or maybe she's not even trying to justify her murder. Maybe she's trying to justify the fact that she might go to prison f- for the murder, you know? Gosh, that's weird. But obviously she's trying to justify that she's a good person. Do you th- I think she's a good person. I, think I do too. I think had she not killed Chase, Chase would have killed her. I don't love that she killed Chase, but I don't think that makes her a bad person. She was a victim. Yeah. If she would have killed Chase because he was a pretty, like, straight-nosed Tom Turkey, then that would have been a thing. But she killed Chase because she had to. Yeah. Now, this so is not So she's us. not a bad person. She's not, but this is also not us telling you to go murder someone that abuses you. You should definitely, yeah, like, definitely not. go to the police. Although I don't trust the police, so I don't know. Do what you want. (laughs) I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) If you can get away with it. Because I genuinely think that even in 2022, if you got raped and told the police, nothing bad is going to happen to that dude. You joking me? True. True. Brock Turner? Yeah. Three months in jail enough for ruining your life? I don't think so. Brett Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. Chase probably would have coached that high school football team for the rest of his life. And we know he likes high school girls. Mm-hmm. We do. Um, gosh, that is that. I, I really just don't even know what she meant by that. It could have been meant so many things. So many yeah. different ways. I also wonder how she was able to live with this secret. That's she almost wasn't able to. She was freaking out during the trial, wasn't she? She and was. Once it was over, like she never told Tate either. That's so crazy. That is. But do you think if she had told Tate, like, on, like, at 63 years old, do you think if she would have told Tate that he would have been like, well, you need to go turn yourself in? Or because they did, like, every sheriff that was elected, they looked over the case a little bit, but never found anything to go after anyone. But do you think Tate would have been like, well, you need to be, you need to go turn yourself in? Absolutely not. I feel like he would have helped her destroy the evidence then as well. So I actually wrote down a question for you. 
And I wanted to know, did this book change or confirm any life views for you? Oh, that is a good question. That is a good question. I think it confirmed my life views on the fact of, like, we need to start being better humans and the fact that we need to, like, realize, like, people go through stuff where, like, for example, when the lawyer was, like, she was judged, we attacked her, yada, 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 church people weren't even Christians, like, that's how a lot of... I'm trying to do this without being too political. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, it confirmed how I feel about life and the fact that the justice system is a joke. It's always been a joke that they aren't there to actually help people. They're there to just close a case and move on with life, whether that person's innocent or not. It also confirmed the fact that people are nasty, and a lot of it is – the more religious you are, the nastier you are to people that are different than you. I agree with everything that you're saying, but especially the religious part. And I kind of just wonder if when you believe that you're just such a good Christian, you can hide behind the shield no matter what happens to you because you're going to go apologize on Sunday. And that makes me feel sad. I really want to circle back to your question from the page 387. Because I just went back to page 363 to read what she was talking about and um, about how she was behaving differently. Then that was also a function of life's fundamental core. And before that, she had been talking about how she never had a close troop of friends or the connections that Jody had. Never her own family. And um, her behavior had been altered from isolation. And I feel like at that point where she's saying that if the consequences were that she behaved differently, then that was a function of life. I think she's just justifying that she decided to stay away from all people and make connections because of the way those people treated her, you know, and maybe she's not a good person because being a good person means that you're supposed to try to grow and be better. But in my opinion, she grew as far as she could and the town, like had a glass ceiling. So yeah, she was a good person. She did her best and the town forced her to be who she was. That's, I agree there. So anyway, sorry, I just had to answer that. No, you're fine. (laughs) Um, And then I had one last question to ask you about this book, which was, did anything stick with you the most? When it comes to this book, I think how the author made me feel for Kaya. I think it's going to make me a better person in the fact that I'm going to try and judge less because we don't know what people go through. Do you think if townspeople knew that Kaya was abandoned, they would have treated her differently? I would hope so. Better. What about you? Um, that definitely stuck with me. I feel like the sneaky fucker thing is going to stick with me for a long time because I just feel like there are so many pompous, not even just men, but people in the world who distract you by being fancy. Like I'm watching that docuseries or that scripted docuseries on Anna Delvey right now. She's a sneaky fucker. Yes, she is. Sneaky, sneaky fuckers will stick with me. And I also think like things I learned about like insects might stick with me. Like the fireflies thing, they change colors when they're wanting to attract different things or like, I didn't know they killed their mates. Yeah. Or the turkeys killing each other if they look different. So predators don't get them like, oh man, the animal kingdom is scary. Yeah. And it's things that I would have never thought about had I not read this book. 
Right. I really liked it. Thank you for suggesting it. I would not have picked this book on my own, as I've said a couple of times, but it was yeah. good. It was really good. It, it made me emotional. Me too. I'm really glad we read it. So now that we are done with this one, we're going into season two. Do you want to announce our next book? Sure. We're going to read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> so we typically wait two weeks before we record, but we're going to come back in a week and release an episode, probably a short episode, just introducing the book and why we chose it. Yep. And then on that episode, we'll talk about where exactly we're going to end for our first episode of that, but we're planning on reading the first half of the book for yes. the first real episode. That yes. won't be before next week. That'll be after that, but just to let everybody know, that's going to be a good one. Aaron Rodgers said that it helps him deal with anxiety, and as a person who probably has a lot of anxiety because he's an anti-vaxxer, <laughs> he probably knows how to deal with some shit. Yeah, true. <laughs> and I have anxiety, and I need to deal with it. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Alrighty, so we'll talk in a week. I'm so excited to get into a new book, and hopefully, I can recover from the emotional roller coaster that I've been through with "Where the Crawdads Sing." Same here. I'll talk to you then. All right. Bye. Bye.